0: Hello and welcome to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice news. I'm Michaela. Wednesday the 7th of September was Threatened Species Day and I have some recordings of an action at Parliament House in Victoria. We'll then hear about the current activity of Frack Free Future in Western Australia and the week-long Walking with the Valley for Just Transitions that will raise awareness and funding for the transition from coal to renewable energy in the Latrobe Valley. 10,000 hours of citizen surveys and reporting on protected wildlife in areas designated for logging by Vic Forest has been conducted by the Goongar Environment Centre Wildlife of the Central Highlands Watch and the Fauna and Flora Research Collective. These surveys have seen the protection of hundreds of hectares of forests that would otherwise have been logged. On Threatened Species Day, these groups prepared an invoice for all this unpaid work and attempted to deliver it to Vic Forest's sole shareholder, Victorian Treasurer, Tim Pallas. We'll hear some excerpts from speeches from Ed Hill from Gecko, then Samantha Dunn and Senator Janet Rice from the Greens, and Callum from Watch.
1: We commemorate Threatened Species Day on the 7th of September each year because it's the day that the, uh, the Tasmanian tiger died in captivity. The last remaining Tasmanian tiger died in a Hobart zoo 80 years ago um, today. So it's a reminder of all the mistakes that we've made in the past, not looking after our threatened species and protecting their habitat. And it's an opportunity to look to the future and look at all the species that we have that continue to be threatened by habitat loss and look at the ways that we can help save them. So it's pretty remarkable that 80 years on from that day, we've still got iconic species like the Leadbeater's possum, who's just being um, uh, a media tart over there, getting getting the photo taken. And the greater glider and the masked owl are still threatened uh, by habitat loss. 80 years on from the death of the last Tasmanian tiger. Well, my name's Ed, by the way, and I work with Gecko Goongerah Environment Centre. And as most of you know, we conduct a lot of citizen science surveys looking for these protected species in areas of Victoria's forests that are threatened by logging. And we have been doing this work as for quite some time, reporting threatened species in areas uh, that are scheduled for logging to the to the state government and pressuring them to implement what are legally required protections. And we've been doing it with Fauna and Flora Research Collective and um, uh, it's a pleasure to have the uh, secretary of that organisation present with us today, Andrew Lincoln, uh, and also the Wildlife of the Central Highlands, uh, or WATCH, who are an amazing new group of citizen scientists who are working in the central highlands searching for the lead possum. I'd like to introduce some special guests uh, that's come down today um, to address you. It's Sam Dunn from um, the Greens and uh, the federal and federal senator Janet Rice who've been very generous with their time to come down today.
2: Thank you so much and it's great to be here today with my federal colleague Senator Janet Rice. Uh, It's been very frustrating in that we've seen very little action from the government in relation to forests. Over six weeks ago they announced that uh, there'd be a statement of intent released from the Forest Industry Task Force and here we are on the 7th of September. Uh, Weeks later we still haven't seen anything and uh, although I commend the work of the four environment groups on that task force, it's pretty hard yakka when the task force is stacked with the forestry division of the CFMEU and industry groups so I don't envy their task in trying to negotiate getting a statement of intent released but Dan really has to show a bit of leadership and start to do something for forests because uh, while time marches on forests are being cut down, endangered species are being threatened and we're losing an enormous amount of biodiversity, all for pulp, all to make paper. It's a very unsustainable way uh, to use our forests, as I'm sure you will all agree.
3: What we've got going on in our forests and the, the deaths of threatened species, the deaths and the suffering of animals, most Australians don't know about. And if they knew about it, they would join with us and to be able to say, this is unacceptable, this has got to stop. We know what has to happen for it to stop and that's getting logging out of native forest full stop it's far too it's gone on for far too long i've been the forest campaigner now for over 30 years in fact you know this year 1986 was the year that we actually got some big wins in east gippsland we got the erin under national park and protection of the roger river forest in east gippsland protected And i was one of the leaders of the campaign that made that happen but we know there was so much important forest that was left out of those parks, and so many animals, whether it's the graded gliders, long-footed cotaroos, that are still dying, their numbers have just been on the steady decrease. And yet, unlike in issues of animal cruelty, where we have got legislation that says, oh if there's animal cruelty going on, it's got to stop. With regard to the protection of threatened species, when it comes to federal legislation, we've got threatened species legislation, we've got the Environmental Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. But under regional forest agreements, that doesn't apply. Any area of forest, and that's all the forest that's being logged on public land in Victoria, which has got a regional forest agreement over it, our national threatened species legislation doesn't apply. I reckon we are actually at a, a tipping point because we know that the industry is just so totally uneconomic, totally subsidised, it's, it's such an archaic last century or even the century before industry. We know we don't need it. We've got 85% of the wood that's being produced in Australia is now coming from plantations. We could transition out of native forests like that and people would hardly notice the difference. And it would mean that we would have our forests protected, that we could be managing them and valuing them for their wildlife, for their water, for recreation and tourism, and for protecting our atmosphere and our climate by sucking up lots of carbon as well.
4: My name's Callum. Um, I'm the president of uh, Wildlife of the Central Highlands. Uh, So like Gecko and Flora and Fauna Collective, WATCH is a community-based citizen science group dedicated to the protection of wildlife uh, throughout the central highlands of Victoria. Uh, every Leadbeater's possum that we record results in a 200 metre buffer around the siding. This buffer becomes a special protection zone and cannot be logged by Vic Forest. Since becoming established in 2014, we've identified 37, uh, probably a bit higher now, uh, but new colonies of Leadbeater's possums within Tulangi, Yarra and the Rubicon State Forest. So the work that we do, the work that should be done by Vic Forest prior to logging, has resulted in more than 460 hectares of forest being protected from logging, um, and that's the equivalent to 260 MCG footy ovals. Uh, But sadly, the lack of intervention by the government has made it necessary for citizen science groups like ourselves, Gecko, and Flora and Fauna Collective to do the work that Vic Forests don't want to do. Everyone at watch is extremely committed to what we do, and we hope this action will increase the pressure on the state government to better protect threatened wildlife from Vic forest logging operations.
1: So What we've done this week, um, and what today is really all about, is we've added up all of the work that gecko's done over the years, that Fauna and Flora Research Collective have done over the years, and that uh, WATCH has been doing in the central highlands. And we've, we've added up all these hours that we've spent looking for these species, and we put a price tag on it, because this is really valuable work, and a lot of, it, a lot of the work that we're doing is at a university or government level, it's on par with a university or government level. And you can read our reports on our website to see. Um, And based on the standard industry rate for ecological surveying, our 10,550 hours split between the groups that's produced 210 reports is actually worth over $2 million. Um, So we've got this invoice here that we've made out to the government. What this invoice represents is that there's an immense amount of work that the community are doing to look for threatened species, it's absolutely critical that they stick around into the future. And the best way to do that is by protecting their habitat, Victoria's native forests, within the Great Forest National Park and with an expanded reserve system in East Gippsland. We've, we've got a special delivery with the Treasurer
5: over here. Um, do you know
1: where the treasure is, Tim Hallett? You're not not coming in today. Is he in there
3: today?
1: We've got this invoice to present to the Treasurer. This is from Citizen Science Group's uh, Gecko, Watch and Corner and Flora Research Collective. We've been conducting some surveys in areas of state forest that are scheduled for logging, finding protected species um, so the government can implement the legally required protections. And we're out of pocket, so we'd like to present this this invoice here to the Treasurer so he can pay us for all the work that we've been doing that, um, that the government should be doing. It's really quite a small sum in the scheme of things when you consider how much money the Treasurer gives to Big Forests annually. It's only two million dollars, which is less than half of what they lose on their operations each year in East Gippsland. Um, so it's a drop in the ocean really and uh, we're hoping that Tim might be able to come out and um, write us a cheque or if not it is payable within fourteen days. Um, <laughs> and it can be made out to um, uh, to, to our organisations, yeah, Gecko there, and yeah, it's for surveying and report preparation for threatened species, uh, presence within forests, scheduled for logging, and these species include the Leadbeater's possum, uh, critically endangered, long-footed potteroo, endangered, greater gliders, uh, vulnerable, it's for yellow belly gliders, it's for protected uh, cool temperate rainforests and warm temperate rainforests, it's for rare and threatened flora, uh, it's for us, uh, it's for powerful masters, sooty owls, it's for Galaxis fish species, and let's not forget the Uascidus crayfish yes. as well, uh, and, in, and also an endangered species, which the government are failing to, uh, to look for. So, I'm not sure if Tim is around, but anyway. I, I'd be um, happy
2: to pass it on to him in the state parliament. Oh, there, so. yeah, that'll here. Oh, yeah. Woo! Woo! I'll be able to get it into the Parliament. I'd be very happy to deliver this to the Treasurer. All right, Thank you. fantastic. Thank you.
0: Thank you for up there. This is Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We just heard Ed Hill from the Gungra Environment Centre attempting to present an invoice to the Victorian Treasurer Tim Pallas for the many hours of work that the citizen scientists carry out to protect our threatened species. And whilst Wilson's security kept everyone from entering the building, Greens MP Samantha Dunn committed to hand it over in Parliament. If you'd like to find out more about the work of Gecko or join the next Citizen Science Survey Camp that's coming up from December 2nd to the 9th, go to geco.org.au. Last week, we heard the good news about the ban on the fracking and mining of unconventional gas in Victoria. Next up, we've got Julian Kirby from the Conservation Council of Western Australia to bring us up to date on their campaign over in the West And I caught up with him after an action on Thursday the 15th of September, where they attended the Department of Mines and Petroleum Open Day at the Hyatt Hotel in Perth to let the mining companies know that Western Australia's shale is not for sale.
6: My name is Jules Kirby and I'm a coordinator of the Frack free Future campaign, which is hosted at the Conservation Council of WA, but involves many other groups and organisations, individuals as well, community groups from across the state and uh, and uh, various sectors from farmers to uh, obviously environmentalists to um, others. So um, what we are working on is a campaign to stop the gas fracking industry taking off in WA uh, and to protect WA's water, its health, its climate, its air, its sustainable industries like food and farming and, and tourism and course our beautiful natural environment here um, from what is a very... Uh, dangerous and accident prone industry. The Department of Mines and Petroleum here um, hosted its 18th annual Petroleum Open Day, which was a um, really great big sort of shindig of, um, of of gas and, and oil companies, uh, mainly gas companies. Uh, in WA, we obviously have this uh, enormous offshore gas um, already, the Northwest Shelf, LNG um, activities going on there. Um, But there is also in WA um, one of the world's largest fossil fuel, onshore fossil fuel um, resources um, deep beneath uh, our feet in the shale and uh, and tight sands rocks there. Um, And so the Department of Mines and Petroleum is um, desperate to open that up for um, exploitation by the gas industry. And the gas industry is desperate to get in there. Um, not least because of the pressure that they've been experiencing out east with Victoria banning the practice and moratorium and getting up in um, various other places as well. I think one thing that we can be certain of after the, um, the win for the anti-fracking, uh, anti-unconventional uh, gas campaigners, um, which, of course, uh, include many people who wouldn't consider themselves campaigners. They're, they're, they're farmers, they're winemakers, they're people from every sector, of the economy and society, Um, And after that popular pressure and the weight of scientific evidence around health and uh, climate and air and water impacts of the gas fracking industry, the unconventional gas industry, um, persuaded the government to ban the practice altogether there. One thing we can be sure of is that the um, gas industry is going to throw everything it can at making sure that come the state election in WA, which is in March next year, March the 11th, um, the government that gets in is going to be as favorable as possible. To, uh, the gas industry. At the moment we've got the opposition Labour Party looking competitive but a big hill to climb in terms of folks seats they need to win back. Um, they've promised a temporary ban, a moratorium um, and the current government governing Liberal Party um, in coalition with the Nats but they, they don't need them at the moment that coalition. Um, they are ardently pro-fracking uh, so you've got a clear dividing line there um, and uh, the gas industry obviously going to want to um, really try and weaken Labour's moratorium and to shore up the, um, the Conservative Party's support for the industry.
0: And so what happened at the Petroleum Open Day?
6: Every year, the uh, Department of Mines and Petroleum has its uh, Petroleum Open Day where it um, issues new licences. Vast areas of the state are opened up already for exploration and more have been added to that. So the companies can um, bid for those and just get out there and start... Um, drilling and, and doing seismology testing, uh, including um, clearing um, precious and fragile um, bush. Uh, WA is famous for its wildflowers, which is full swing right now, wildflower season. Um, and yet, the Beekeepers National Park, uh, which is one of the hotspots for that, um, was had sections of it cleared for seismology testing. And there's a current um, bid in right now for a company to go into the Bajangara National Park and nature reserves around there and start clearing. Uh, bush, very old and, and fragile um, shrubs and trees there in some cases, which will be um, cleared out of the way. And of course, um, precious habitat for um, endangered species like the uh, Carnaby's too. So um, what we have at these Petroleum Island Days is um, is a showcase of all the places that the industry can, can go and get in there. And, uh, and a lot of sort of talk between um, the uh, Department of Mines and Petroleum, which is very pro-industry, uh, in, a, in a contradiction with its role also as a regulator. Um, a bit of a love in between them and the companies who are sort of obviously desperate to get in there and, and, and do what they can. And that's why we've had people demonstrating outside this morning saying that we don't want this industry and we don't want our government supporting it.
0: Mm, excellent. anything else that you want to tell us?
6: Interestingly enough, what we, what we also had um, today... The, the Mines Minister um, opened the conference uh, and then just after that released uh, a press release um, that said a land access panel was being set up and the Conservation Council of WA was um, going to be on that panel. And that was the first the Conservation Council of WA had heard of that. So um, a land access panel to look at land rights is, uh, is potentially a good thing. It's a huge concern for people here that they don't have any rights to refuse um, gas companies coming on and drilling on, on their property. Um, not a great start from the DNP to press release uh, members of its panel without even uh, getting their approval um, as to whether or not they wanted to be on there. So uh, let's, let's see whether they can um, do a better job in the future. But it just shows that, um, that the, the need for people to have rights to protect their property uh, is really fundamental um, and, uh, and reflects a, a wide concern and a growing concern that people have about this industry. Mm,
0: excellent. Well, if people want to find out more um, about the campaign or get involved, where's the best place for them to go?
6: We would love for people to find out more about the campaign and to get involved. Um, you don't have to live in WA to do that. Uh, this is something of um, national significance, given the size of the Shale and Tysan reserves that the industry is going after in WA, and of course the, the, the national international significance of both the climate impact of that, but also uh, the, the impact on, um, on people, on culture, and on uh, precious and fragile uh, environmental um, uh, value through those, those national parks and those wildflower areas and, and so on. So go to fracfreefuture.org.au um, and have a look and see how you can get involved, please.
0: Thanks so much for joining us, Jules.
6: Brilliant. Thanks, Michele. Nice to, talk to you.
0: Thanks to Julian Kirby, Frack Free Campaigner with the Conservation Council of Western Australia for joining us on Earth Matters. This program is heard around the country thanks to the Community Radio Network. And if you want to find out more about that campaign, you can go to frackfreefuture.org.au. If you missed last week's edition of Earth Matters that reported on the brilliant success story of the Victorian unconventional gas mining and fracking ban, you can find the podcast of that show and others like it at 3 crorg Au backslash earth matters. Now to hear about a project that aims to ensure that workers and communities at the coalface are not left out in the cold as we transition to a renewable energy future. Earth Matters is joined by Ellie from the Earthworker Cooperative whose mission is to address the dual concerns of climate change and local job creation by setting up worker-owned cooperatives in sustainable industries across Australia. Earthworker and Voices of the Valley are about to embark on a 100 kilometer long Walk with the Valley for a just transition.
5: My name's Ellie, Um, I'm an organiser with the Earthworker Cooperative and um, that's one of the groups that's been behind the, the Walk with the Valley um, so the walk is going to be an 100-kilometre walk um, through Wurundjeri and Gunai Kurnai country. And we'll be starting uh, with a launch at Parliament Steps in Melbourne on Monday morning, next Monday the 19th, and then we'll be walking um, all the way from Pakenham to Morwell, which is in the heart of the Latrobe Valley. Um, so it's in many ways a symbolic journey, um, but it also has practical steps tied in around um, bringing a, a just transition um, about in the Latrobe Valley. So symbolically, in many ways, it's a show of commitment and solidarity to the community in the valley. Um, you know, this is the community that's been working for almost a century um, to generate Victoria's power, and they haven't always seen the benefits of that labour. Um, in many ways, they've actually paid for it more than anyone in terms of health and economic issues. Um, so. At the moment, the world is moving away from coal, um, you know, in terms of economic and environmental reasons for the climate. Um, and it's really important that communities such as the Latrobe Valley have the resources they need to transition their economy um, as the coal industry declines. Um, and it's also essential that the new energy industries um, that take their place are ones that won't damage community health or the climate. Um, that we're you know moving towards renewables and that sort of thing. Um, but at the same time it's also not up to the government or groups from the outside to di- dictate their future or tell them how they should be doing things. So that's why we're calling it the walk with the valley. Um, so it's the government's job, it's the wider public's job to walk with the valley not to tell them where to go. Um, so we wanted to help amplify the call for a just transition which is one where the community is put in control and gets to reap the benefits of alternative industries.
0: So this walk was initiated then by people living in the Latrobe Valley?
5: Yeah, so um, we're really fortunate to have, you know, members and some of our organisers based in the Latrobe Valley, including our secretary, Dan Musel, who lives in Warwell, And we also have the support of the local group, Voices of the Valley, who... Did a lot of work around the um, the campaign after the the fires in uh, the mine fires in Morwell, and um, are also now working on community transition initiatives.
0: Hmm. And so one of those um, is the Eureka's Future Workers Cooperative. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
5: Yeah. So um, you know, part of the the aims of the Earthworker Project. Is that um, you know to take practical steps around um, environmental and social justice issues. So we often have a, a debate around you know jobs versus environment. We'll have industries that are you know hurting the climate, hurting the environment, but it's hard to um, you know deny the fact. And it's really important that that we're not uh, moving away from those industries at the expense of workers. So. That's sort of the problem that um, the Eureka's Future Workers Cooperative is trying to address. Um, So it's been a a long project um, to try and set it up. Uh, We've recently moved uh, factory equipment into Morwell, um, which is equipped to manufacture solar hot water technology. Uh, We obtained that through community investment. Um, And yeah, the hope is to uh, get enough start-up capital so we can put that um, factory into work and and set it up as a worker-owned cooperative. And worker cooperatives, as as many people will know, um, are businesses that are owned and controlled by the people who work in them. So in terms of, uh, you know, making sure that, um, you know, the community gets to sort of be part of driving their own economic future, worker cooperatives can be uh, a good way of ensuring that. So people who are walking are getting sponsorships um, for the walk that they're doing and um, those funds are going to go towards helping the Eureka's Future Workers Cooperative start up in Morwell Um, and hopefully that's going to be, yeah, a good contribution to um, the local economy, um, you know, creating green and sustainable jobs for people in the valley. Um, If people want to support that or find out more information, they can go to... Um, www.walkwiththevalley.org
0: And so can you tell us a little bit about uh, the walk itself what sort of landscapes you'll be passing through and the kind of activities that you'll be undertaking along the way?
5: Yeah, so um, we'll be passing through a range of landscapes we're starting off in Pakenham so we'll be working, walking out of the outer suburbs of Melbourne and we'll mostly be walking along um, sort of quiet roads on the roadside and passing through towns on the way and um, yeah along the way we've been connecting with groups such as like local land care groups and different um, community sustainability organisations to come and chat with us and yeah it's it's, you know when we're stopping for lunch we're going to have a stall we've got a we've got a trailer with a um, solar panels on it and um, information about what we're doing and yeah hopefully it's going to be a good chance to Connect with um, local groups and yeah, also hear about you know different initiatives that are happening throughout Gippsland. Um, on the Friday night in Yarragon, we're going to have a chat to um, a person who's been helping our project who is very knowledgeable about co-ops. So we're going to be looking at how um, worker co-ops can potentially help a transition in the valley, and also hearing from our secretary Dan, who's been overseas recently and, and checking out different worker co-ops in the US um, and looking at how they've really helped similar type regions in, in other countries to um, transition towards more sustainable ways of working.
0: Mm, fantastic. And who's going to be walking? How many people and, and where are some of those walkers coming from?
5: Yeah, so we'll have, um, you know, people from you know, Melbourne, as well as people from Gippsland and the La Trobe Valley walking with us. Each day we've got between 20 and 40 people walking. Yeah, and we've got about 15 who've actually committed to do the whole 100K, which is really awesome.
0: Excellent. And if people want to follow the progress of the walk and find out more, what's the best way for them to do that?
5: Probably a good idea to um, jump on Facebook. the Worker Corp. has a Facebook account as well as the Twitter um, account, and we'll be yeah keeping people updated on what we're
0: doing, um, yeah along the way. Brilliant! All right. Well, we look forward to hearing more about the journey. Thanks for joining us on Earth Matters. Thanks,
5: Michaela.
0: That was Ellie from the Earthworker Cooperative talking to Earth Matters about the upcoming Walk with the Valley for a Just Transition. Follow their progress on Walk with the Valley. Or Earthworker Cooperative Facebook pages, or on Twitter at Walk With The Valley and Earthworker Co-op. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. This show was produced in the studios of 3CR on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri of the Kulin Nations in Fitzroy, Victoria, and brought to you around the country thanks to the good folk at the Community Radio Network and the generous financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and if you'd like to share feedback, ideas or events, you can email us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. We'll post all the links to these stories and more on our Facebook page, and you can follow us on Twitter at Radio. Tune in again next week for more stories of environmental and social justice. Until then, take action to care for the earth. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.